Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Idle Australians with James and Nasha. Idle Australians with James and Nasha. Idle Australians with James and Nasha. Let's get the show going, boys. Jimmy, I don't want to start every show by telling you about the soup I just ate, but on 100% of the shows we recorded, I'm telling you that I just ate a really good laksa. Mm. I mean, what percentage of your meals are soup and noodle-based? Probably about two a week. And so probably seven times three, you have 21 meals a week. To, yeah, so it's a very low percentage. So I'm just catching you on the back of maybe this night that we record is is noodle night, is Luxa night. Oh, man. And Audrey makes a great one. I'd love actually you to come over and eat it because you are the person I first ever ate Luxa with and I recall you holding the place that I think we went. It was one of your favourite places somewhere in Melbourne or something. And you went, no, these guys do a really good one. And it was like a hole-in-the-wall place with very bright fluorescent lighting which really illuminated the sheen upon your forehead from the vast sweat that came upon you. <laughs> it was great. I like it spicy. I like it spicy, Osh. I should get you- The hotter the better. I should get you some of the bongo chilies we're growing in our front lawn, the the Fijian bongo chilies that Audrey's growing. They are ass kickery. It's brilliant. I love it. That sounds spicy. It's so good. It's weird though. When It's spicy when I eat them, but it's more spicy when I wee, and I don't understand why. That's science. Probably the distillation of your kidneys. I don't know. Who who could say? But, I mean, this is obviously the juicy content that people tune in for. They tune in because they went, holy shit, last week I learned about Brisbane's Olympic bid for 1992. I can't wait to dig into episode two of Idol Australians. Dedicated to the- uh- The unsung heroes and the untold stories of this great nation. So with that in mind, Jim, I've dedicated a few days of research and hard work to an unsung story, an unsung hero, and an untold story, one that we barely ever hear about. When you hear this, what do you think about? I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up today is a bum. (laughs) Classic. Porky. Bob Hawke. Half cut on the back of Australia winning the very first, our very first America's Cup, I think a pretty gaudy jacket he was wearing at the time and he was well on his way by then. Yeah, that's what I vaguely remember from it. I mean, you've got to remember I'm only uh, four at the time, so a lot of this stuff is archival footage and, and stuff that I've seen on the news, but that's what I remember from that. Us winning the Cup, the America's Cup. Breaking uh, the longest winning streak in all sporting history, 132 years the New York Yacht Club had held the America's Cup. And, Jimmy, who was it that bankrolled Australia's yachting campaign? It was the big man, Alan Bond. That's right, Jim. Ten-pound pom, former sign writer, well, definitely Australia's greatest ever fraudster, Alan Bond. He used a scheme or a tactic 
that various other high-profile kind of developer types have used. Basically, convince other people that you can do the deal, borrow their money then to do the deal, and if it goes belly up, when you go to court and are charged with where's the money, apparently feign brain damage to get out of trouble. And that's what he did. He made his money in property in Perth before things just kind of really ramped up. But at one point, the Bond Corporation in the late 1980s, it was just this overarching octopus tentacle beast of a, of a business uh, empire. It was in control of massive mining operations, breweries, a private university, vast swathes of real estate, including skyscrapers in Hong Kong, nine television network, Sky Channel, radio stations, and an exclusive private resort. Bondi had banks in Hong Kong and Shanghai funding him. We all got to know him when Australia 2 won the America's Cup uh, off the New York Yacht Club, and it was just like this greatest, most magnificent, humongous thing. He'd used his mining and property money to basically build a boat that had a revolutionary winged keel. It was him. It was the immigrant story. It was a young nation on the other side of the world that was beating the old hand. It was like it was all on. This was it. This added international attention. The capital just came to him, and he just got busy amassing an empire, Jim. He was a very clever businessman, so he realised that Australians not only love, as far as commodities go, we love oil, we love gas, we love gold, but there was one commodity in Australia that he seemed hell-bent on acquiring every single outlet of, Jim, beer. Mm. It wouldn't be where I like put my investment funds into like, beer. You mean breweries? He bought breweries? Breweries. By the bucket load. He got about acquiring breweries by the fistful, uh, a few mm. notable ones, the Swan Brewery Classic. in Western Australia, which I have drunk in the old days and wasn't a bad drop. And as we all know, the very best thing about beer in the 80s was the ads. Are you going to play This Swan's Made For You? Fuck yeah, I'm going to play it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, full credit to the Mojo Advertising Agency and Alan Johnston, who was just like a, a god of Australian jingle writing in the 80s. But this song and songs like it, and I've got a big surprise for you after this one when I tell you about the next brewery that he bought, this song was just like unfucking believable Like this was a minute-long power ballad that would play in primetime television. They said you'd never make it. Suffering's more your game and your goal. Do you know which one it is? You'd better stick to is it the Greg Norton one? Yes, it is. Said you'd never make it. It seems their words were true. It must have been heartbreaking when you knew what you could do. They said you'd never make it, but you finally came through. The sense made it. This one's made for you. Made for you. This one's made for you. Now, in the ad, Greg's like at a big party somewhere in Perth, and the America's Cup happens to be in the background. Like, it's just unbelievable, man. Like, if that doesn't make you want to just rush out and buy a case of beer. Uh, it's very. Are you feeling okay? Is like, is that all right? Are you, are you just, are you yeah, just like very full of moment. nostalgia? I mean, you know, it's perfect that they used another sort of complicated legend of Australia, the great Greg Norman, 
in that ad. Jimmy, he wasn't content with just Swan Lager. He was like, no, no, no. What are those on the East Coast drink? Oh, right. They drink Tuies. I need to sell some more Tuies. I know just the people to call. And I found this one just for you, mate, because I know this is you're going to fucking love this. How do you feel? Mammy meals and no one's given an inch today. Classy. Right. How do you feel? When you dive through heels too late and the skippers haven't sang. How do you feel? A wall of eagles holding you back and time's ticking away. How do you feel? When you make the call and you got the ball, can you save the day? How do you feel when you beat them all and they're shouting out your name? How do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? Men in the change room, the sea eagles and the eels all together having beers. I remember that ad very, very fondly. Wait, Alan's not behind the ads, is he? He owned the brewery, but it was that era. In 1987, Alan Bond paid a billion dollars to Kerry Packer for the Nine Network. Yeah. That is a lot of money in 1987. The Mel- just the Melbourne and Sydney stations. And so he he's obviously got just extraordinary amounts of cash at this stage. I mean, these all sound like really legitimate businesses, you know, casinos, television networks, breweries. Alan, he bought Nine Network for a billion dollars. Kerry Packer asked for a billion dollars for Melbourne and Sydney, uh, Channel 9 stations. Alan borrowed $800 million of that from the National Australia Bank, and the rest was a share in Bond Media. So I don't think any of his cash was actually involved. That's extraordinary. Yeah. And what did he do with Channel 9? What was his big plans for the Nine Network? But it didn't work out too well, which we'll get to in a minute. So two years later, after buying Channel 9 for a billion dollars, Bond Media that owns the thing, the whole thing's struggling, right? So Kerry Packer bought the network back off of him, which now included Channel 9 in Brisbane. So he sold him Melbourne and Sydney, and now he's buying back Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane. You want to guess for how much? Uh, he bought it for a billion, so I don't know. How many years later? Two years later. Like, I don't know, 1.2, 1.2 billion? Lower. $750 million. Lower. $500 million. So you've paid a billion dollars for two TV stations. And you're in so much trouble, you have to sell the three. what's now three TV stations, and it's less than $500 million. Wow. $300, 300, $300 million. million. Wow. So, Kerry Packer made $700 million in two years from Alan Bond? Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> genius. Fucking genius. He must have loved him. Well, the quote from Kerry was, you only get one Alan Bond in your life and I've had mine. Mm. Things started to go, obviously, very, very pear-shaped. Everything else started to fall apart. When am I going to get my Alan Bond? (laughs) I don't know. Um, Alan was declared bankrupt in 1992. The estimated losses were around $5 billion. Taken to court to explain where all the money went, though, Alan somehow developed devastating brain damage that he blamed on heart surgery, and he couldn't remember anything at all. Uh, He would get asked questions, 
you know, oh, okay, so apparently there's $50 million in a bank account in Switzerland or something like this. And he would just stare into space for minutes at a time and then go, I can't remember the question you asked me. I'm sorry. He claimed his IQ had plummeted from 150, which is like genius starts at 140. Okay. So he claimed his IQ had plummeted from 150 down to 90. Actually, the real hero of the story is on television every Monday night on the ABC here in Australia. He's really the one that started to bring everything apart for Alan. Hello, I'm Paul Barry. Welcome to Media Watch. Yes, that Paul Barry just hounded Alan and made, I think, two or three really, really powerful episodes of Four Corners. According to Paul Barry, who plays a massive role in Alan's downfall, Alan would do this thing in the courtroom when he was being asked questions about this company is tied to you or there's this you know company in Jersey or this country company in Liberia or something and he wouldn't remember a thing and according to Paul Barry he would then shuffle around the corner of the courtroom walk around the block and as soon as he was out of sight of the cameras stand up straight and then just stride towards the the hotel and get back on the phones it eventually all caught up with him in 1997 he got put in jail for four years for siphoning, siphoning $1.2 billion out of one company to prop up another. So just think about that sentence, $1.2 billion, right, and four years. It's the largest case of corporate fraud in Australian history. Uh, when Alan did get out of jail in October 2000, the Sydney Morning Herald wrote quite brilliantly, a few days before he was released after less than four years jail for a fraud involving $1.2 billion, a Northern Territory man was sentenced to one year's jail for stealing $23 worth of cordial and biscuits. Exactly. Had the same formula been applied to Bond, he would have been in jail for 50 million years. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And did he, so he served them all? He served all Just a four little, years? Just a little less than four years, yeah. If I said to you- I'm going to give you $1.2 billion, but you have to go to prison for four years. Would you think about it? I wouldn't think about it. I would, I would jump in the van. You'd probably put yourself in solitary. Yeah. I've, I've got the baseball. I'm doing the Paul Newman thing against the wall from Cool Hand Luke or whatever it was. What about $100 million, four years in prison? Are you thinking about this? You, you have to think about $100 million for four years. That's $25 million a year. You never have to work again. Is it the nice corporate prison that you get to go to if you're a white, white-collar yeah, criminal? It's Alan, it's Alan Bond prison. All right. I think violent crime. See, this is the thing sometimes. That's why people think the system is rigged because there's always such a great disparity between what typically white-collar corporate criminals get. Yeah. That's a crime of- Greed, that's a crime of deception, that's a crime. Normally we're people who, who don't need to be extorting millions of dollars versus, you know, people who are experiencing either homelessness or poverty or mental health issues and steal something or have addiction issues and, and steal something to support their habit, you know. Who deserves more jail time, the guy who is desperate and, and at his absolute wit's ends and is just trying to eke out his own survival or the guy who has all the resources in the world but still decides to go down that path. I'd contend that it's the, the white-collar guys that probably need to 
have the harshest punishments. Well, because you're removed from the victim. It's just numbers on a piece of paper is the victim, you know, in that situation. But what it actually is, it's the the shareholders and it's the people who put their superannuation and their retirement into those companies that have been destroyed. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, you know, if you think about how many lives are ruined by someone who steals a car, you know, maybe someone doesn't have insurance. Maybe maybe it's one person is severely affected. But you, you talk about the, the Bernie Madoffs of the world. Oh, yeah. Like pensioners and retirees and elderly Americans who'd worked their entire lives, their entire lives had everything wiped out, you know. Uh-huh. That, that, that sort of stuff is so destructive to entire communities, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the thing. I, you know, I'm not saying we don't need to have punishment for people who commit property theft at a lower level, but at the same time, you know. Let's let's focus our resources, man. There's actually a, and the thing is that the model already exists for this. Have you heard about uh, speeding tickets in Finland? It's not a set fee, but it's sort of means tested. It's in ex- a way exactly right. A speeding ticket in Finland is means tested against your taxable income, and not you know in like in this situation where you've got companies in the Canary Islands and the Cook Islands and whatever where I don't make any money at all. You know, it's not that. Like they actually go, okay, we know you're worth this much money. So, for example, in Finland, what they do is first they use your annual wages, and then they figure out how much spending money you have for the day. All right, so in Australia, the average full-time wage is 1700 bucks a week. Average spend for a couple with no kids is a little more than 1500 So around $200 is how much spending money you have, you know, that week. Then they, they halve that and um, that's considered a reasonable amount of spending money as a penalty for breaking a law while driving. Then based on how badly you broke the law, they multiply how many days you have to go without that spending money based on a formula they've come up with. So, for example, going 15 over the speed limit, that's 12 days you have to go without that extra spending money. 25 over the speed limit is 22 days. Now, a businessman in Finland ended up, like the guy was, he's like one of the Nokia guys or something like that. He was pulled over doing 65 in a 50 zone. They've got the tax database in their guidebook because it's Finland. So, the cop goes to the car. He goes, he comes back and he goes, okay, mate, you've done 65 in a 50 zone. That's $88,000. Ha! That's awesome and completely ridiculous. <laughs> like, isn't the whole mechanism about making sure that people at the lower end of the earning scale aren't crippled by it, not to punish people? I mean, I love it, but uh, it's complicated and ridiculous and brilliant at the same time. Bloody fins. I kind of like it because it's like you can't earn your way out of accountability. Mm. Like if it was here and you were doing that, it'd be it's a two hundred and sixty five dollars speeding ticket. That's half of the bottle of wine that you had for lunch that day. If you're that guy, mm. so two hundred sixty five bucks is nothing for that guy. So he's like, "Fuck it, I'm going to go fast today. Don't care." But eighty eight grand that'll get you on the brakes. Oh, well, I mean, would it though? If you're a billionaire, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's it is nothing to them. Hang on, here's the thing. What is the least amount of money you would go to prison for for a year? Me. Yeah. The least amount of money that I would go to prison for for a year. 365 days of not seeing my family, never work at my job again because I've been to prison, mm. affect the rest of my life quite significantly. Fuck, man. I don't know. 
20 mil, 25 mil. For a year? Yeah. That's a lot of money. You said 100 mil for, yeah, you said, you said 100 mil for four years before. Yeah. So I've got yeah, yeah. to there. I reckon I'd do it for like five. <laughs> Is that crazy? Nah, yeah, I reckon. I reckon three. <laughs> three? Yeah. Let me call some previous investors into the Bond Corporation. I reckon <laughs> I could raise some money. No. So other people would be like, these guys are crazy. There are people, people who do it for a lot less than that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd have to pay $25 million for a, jail, a year in jail? All right. That's good. I, I understand that. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> now, the thing is that Alan's not alive anymore. From his brain injury? No. He had a heart surgery. And they were trying to repair not one, not two, but three heart valves uh, that needed a bit of work and they, they couldn't resuscitate him mm. and he passed away. But right, right before he died, there was not only the 20th but also the 30th anniversary of the America's Cup victory. And as Australians, we really have this thing where if you've been fucking awesome in sport, we will forgive a lot. And it seems that Alan wasn't immune to that level of forgiveness that Australia was was ready to go. In fact- at one of these big, humongous, you know, everyone was there, kind of big galas where all the original crew of Australia 2 were there and they had like a picture of the boat on stage and they had the cup and everything and people cheered for him, cheered for him. He, he magicked away around $5 billion of, of shareholder and investment money and they bring him up on stage and the crowd goes wild. Ladies and gentlemen, Alan Bond. Like... Oh, we forgot about that. Don't worry about it. It's fine. We just remember that moment. Mick O'Donnell from the ABC, after one of these events, when you think about the allegations of feigning brain damage, when you think about all the money that disappeared, it's a great question that he asked him. And Alan is really, really aware of who he is, what he is, and what Australia is too. Can you be a corporate criminal and a national hero? It seems to be. Well, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Do we win the America's Cup? Does that story exist? Does that moment of... Because people cared about the America's Cup back then. Nowadays, it's sort of a sideshow. But does that moment happen in Australian history? Does the euphoria and the pride and the elation that go with that exist without him? No, it doesn't. It doesn't exist without Alan Bond. Neither does, Jimmy, neither does the Kalgoorlie super pit, which was his brainchild, binding all those mining leases together, those gold mining leases, and creating the this gigantic um, money-making gold mine in Kalgoorlie. It reminds me a bit of um, Lance Armstrong. Like, Lance lied and cheated and bullied and threatened people, and he sort of perpetuated the biggest con in sporting history ever in many ways, Um, and so he's a disgrace, yeah? But that Livestrong charity, which he founded, raised over $500 million for charity. Yeah, yeah. You know, if that leads to some breakthrough in cancer research, is it all worth it? Is he a hero? You know, if, if someone who was fighting cancer at the time, while he still insisting that he's clean and while he's winning Tour de France's and 
they managed to find the courage and the determination and the inner fortitude to, to go on because of his journey, his story, is he still a hero to them, you know? Like this is where this sort of stuff becomes messy and complicated and in many ways impossible to answer because, you know, what if, what if there is a breakthrough in cancer treatment because of the money that Lance Armstrong helped to raise on the back of a lie? My brain hurts thinking about how I'd feel about that. Is he still the villain, you know? I know. And when I think about it, if Lance Armstrong came to Australia for a thing and someone said, hey, we're going on a group ride with Lance tomorrow, do you want to come? Fuck yeah, I want to go ride a bike with Lance Armstrong, Lance Armstrong. Mm. Just, to, just to do it. Yeah. It doesn't take away all the things he did. And maybe that's the same with Bondi. Those people that are cheering in that room, they probably were on that boat and all their lifelong dreams of being a world-class sailor on a boat that finally beat America at their own game happened because of his drive, his money, his vision. You know, maybe there's something in there. You're right. I was thinking about it. He did pretty much all of it with borrowed money. And to borrow money, there's got to be someone that's going to lend you that money. So that many people were, I really want this to be true. I want to be along for this ride. I'm here. People wanted to be a part of it. Wasn't he Australian of the Year at one stage? He was Australian of the Year. Oh, no, he had an Order of Australia that was taken off him. It got taken off him. But, yes, he owned three breweries, but he went broke selling beer to Australians (laughs) and then had to sell the breweries. Mm, it's It's complicated, isn't it? He just was the right guy with the right smile at the right time selling the right dream to people with cash. And they wanted it. And he was like, okay, I'll go do it. Bananas, man. It's a banana story. And so much of what we are as Australians, I guess, is is kind of tied up in what you were just talking about, about you know, the complexity of how can we not like someone who gave us this feeling, even though that feeling is also, in the other hand, I'm holding, he took all this money and, and, and swindled it away. It's kind of hard. I think about it with my, you know, with my favourite songs. Like if, if, if you wanted to only ever listen to music that was recorded by an artist, that has a, has a crispy clean track record when it comes to their personal life, your CD collection or your Spotify playlist would be a very bare cupboard. We demand so much cleanliness and purity from so many people in public life sometimes. Bear in mind that I, I can't listen to James Brown anymore, which breaks my heart, but I can't. But I get around it by listening to the JBs, which was his band. And they put solo records out. And it's actually pretty good. It's like Jackson's. And Jackson 5. Mm. Can you listen to Jackson 5? Jackson 5. It's tricky, though, because he was the victim at the time. Would you listen to Thriller? I can't. I stop it off the wall. That's where I stop. <laughs> I stop it off the wall. I don't go into Thriller. Beyond Thriller, I'm, I'm out. Up to off the wall, I'm there at the moment. At the moment. Well, like anything, man, you got to draw in the line somewhere. <laughs> that's it Australia's greatest ever corporate fraudster he died in 2015 bear in mind Jim in 2008 on the other side of prison he was worth 
$265 million thanks to a diamond mine in Africa and an oil well in Madagascar. He made it to the BRW rich list on the other side of prison. He figured it out again. Yeah. But all those people that lost all their money, they're like, well, he still couldn't remember Nevis and the West Indies or those companies in Jersey or the Cook Islands or business offices in Geneva. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's real lives at the end of this. He got burnt. Yeah. Yeah. But... um. They had that moment of Australia winning America's Cup. Sure, you lost your life savings, but hey, we won a sailing race. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Uh, IdleAustralians at gmail.com and on Instagram. You're awesome, Jim. Thanks for staying up late to do this. Thanks, brother. Anytime. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,